1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm really, really excited to be talking about today's topic. It's something that I talk about all the time on social media and in my personal life, and obviously something that has been a really pivotal and really huge part of my personal journey within mental health, but also just my life in general. Um, And as the name of this episode will suggest, we're talking today about anxiety and all of the things that have helped me to heal from having a pretty big crisis with my mental health, specifically with stress and anxiety. And I feel like I have a lot of conversations in my day-to-day life about you know, what are the things that helped me and what are the things that I would recommend if you're going through something like this. And to be honest, I think you know, I have a lot of these kind of lessons and everything articulated in a offering that I have called Mindfulness for Stress and Anxiety. But I also thought it'd be really nice just to sit down and talk through my whole experience um, as a way to not only compliment that program if you're in it, but also if you're not in it and you're just looking for some practical tools and tips and just to hear a little bit more about my own story. So maybe you feel a little bit less alone, then that's basically what this episode is going to be all about. So I decided that I want to give an exact timeline of my personal experience with anxiety. So starting off when I first began feeling it all the way until when I hit a rock bottom and then to when things started to eventually improve and I found the tools that worked for me. I also want to answer some of my most common questions when it comes to anxiety and what worked to help heal my anxiety and also the things that didn't work. And then at the end of the episode, I'll give some practical tools for combating anxiety and panic attacks that have not only worked for me, but are also backed by a lot of research. So like I said, a lot of this is in that Mindfulness for Stress and Anxiety program. So I'm going to be sharing a little sneak peek into those techniques on this episode as well. I also want to get super specific about what would trigger my anxiety as well as the physical and psychological manifestations that I would experience. And the reason I wanted to share this is although we may have different triggers and different symptoms of anxiety, I want to basically normalize this experience because essentially when I was going through it, I felt like a lot of what I was feeling and thinking was really weird and as a result, I would not talk to anybody about it. So I think the more that we have conversations about some of the symptoms that we may be feeling the more that we realize that they're actually normal responses to the stress that our bodies are under and that actually a lot of other folks are kind of feeling the same way and I just think that's a really good way to collectively find ways to heal and to talk about what worked for each other and although what worked for me may not work for you it's a really good starting point to begin having those conversations and being able to envision for yourself that you can get better and you can Can find ways to regulate and manage um, your anxiety. So, Essentially, I want to provide an alternative narrative of what it means to have a mental health crisis. One of my biggest fears when I was at my rock bottom with anxiety was that I would never feel normal again. So basically, my objective with this episode is just to be a vision holder for you if you are experiencing this and you are looking for that reassurance that things can improve and really those tips and resources that can help you to make the practical changes that have personally been so powerful for me and also have been just proven by research and so many other folks on the process of healing from anxiety. I really do believe in the power of hearing the stories of others and then being able to see ourselves in those stories and envisioning ourselves with that same kind of level of success. So for example, whether that's mental health or business or really any area of life, I think if we can relate to each other's stories, we can then imagine for ourselves that we could also experience what's on the other side. So in my case, being in a place where I was experiencing daily panic attacks for a number of years and had a pretty high level of generalized anxiety to the point where now I'm not only more or less free of anxiety, but I'm also teaching other folks how to work through and regulate their stress and anxiety. So as I mentioned, I wanted to provide a timeline. So let's go back and start with childhood and early life adolescence. So I'll be honest in saying that to my knowledge and you know, from what I remember, I never really struggled with stress or anxiety. I mean, I'm sure I had stress and I had a lot of different kind of self-esteem things and um, you know, the normal kind of things growing up that we all experience, but I definitely wouldn't say that I was an anxious kid or an overly nervous kid, maybe in some regards, but not anything that I can really remember standing out in my mind. And as I started to get into university, so around the age 17, 18, um, I definitely started to realize that I had kind of maybe a lower level of what I would look back and call depression, um, but not anything that I was, again, very aware of I or that impacted my life in a huge way. Even during the time when I was taking what I would say for me was a relatively intense program, I took business. I didn't necessarily find that I had a hard time with courses or stress surrounding deadlines or presentations, at least not more than was typical uh, during that period. But what I will say is that was a period during which I picked up some pretty toxic and unhealthy behaviors and lifestyle patterns. I definitely don't remember, you know, throughout school or during my early life, learning a whole lot about the importance of mental health and taking care of our mental health. And it's really interesting because I talk about this a lot about how you know, In grade school, it's very obvious we have health class and we talk about the importance of physical health and diet and all these things, but I really don't remember learning about anything that we could do to practically take care of ourselves from a mental health perspective or what we could offer if someone that we knew was going through some sort of crisis. So with that said, I definitely had some lifestyle patterns, much like a lot of people who are in university or at this phase of their life that were kind of I would say underneath the surface building up probably some stress if I were to look at it in hindsight I definitely wasn't helping my mental situation and although the actual physical manifestation had not appeared at this point at least not that I was aware of because like I said I didn't really have that practice of self-inquiry or checking in with myself so when my mental health really did start to decline it kind of felt like it was coming out of the blue even though in hindsight there was obviously a lot going on beneath the surface and interestingly enough at the time I also spoke with a naturopath and I was going to her for some dietary things and she had told me about this kind of phenomenon where your body can put up with a specific food that you might have an intolerance to for a certain amount of time and then all of a sudden it kind of shuts down and that's when you start having those symptoms and those reactions to that food even though you may have been eating it for a really long time and been fine. So that's kind of how I see what went down with my mental health was although like I said it felt like prior to having struggled with mental health that everything was okay in that department even though now I can look back and understand that perhaps that wasn't the case I just didn't have any physical manifestations of the struggles that I was experiencing on a deeper level and this to me just highlights the importance of still having that practice of checking in with ourselves and caring for our well-being even in the moments that we feel good because it's kind of like that mindfulness anecdote where the suggestion is to weave your parachute day by day before you have to jump out of the plane. So we don't wait until we have to, you know, actually jump out of the plane to start weaving the parachute. And the idea here is that we have this practice that is going to support us in the challenging times when we need it. So that kind of brings me to the time in my life where I did start to struggle and where things started to kind of unravel. To go into a little bit more detail about where I was at at the time, I was in my final years of university. And during that time, I was in a program where in between schooling semesters, I would work for basically companies doing co-op terms. So essentially internships. And i believe that I was in one of my internship semesters. So I was working full time at a consulting firm. And to go back a little bit, I had mentioned that I was engaging in some really unhealthy lifestyle choices and lifestyle patterns. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about what those are. But before I do that, I just want to say, if you do any of these things, it's not a process of shaming yourself, and that's not my intention here. I'm just trying to paint the picture of some of the factors that contributed to the state that I was in. So like I said, I was working full time. I definitely had some unhealthy sleep habits. I was not getting good sleep, mainly because of the fact that I was using a lot of alcohol and nicotine pretty much every weekend. And I found that that really disrupted my sleep. I also would wake up really, really hungover and kind of having that low level of kind of depression, but also what a lot of folks call anxiety, just feeling really, really brutal. Um, I would say my eating habits were not the best. And the other thing that really, really contributed to the mental state that I was in at the time were some of the unhealthy relationship patterns that I would engage with. And not to go into a lot of detail with that, but I had really low self-esteem at the time and I would find that I would just really allow myself to be treated or engage in really toxic patterns in relationships and i don't think i realized how big of an impact that had on my mental health and well-being until having been in a more healthy stable relationship and also until i was even before in that relationship Happy and confident and comfortable by myself, I really didn't know what that felt like until after I kind of had this mental health crisis. Because essentially, and a lot of folks will say this, the mental health crisis that I experienced forced me to basically look at every area of my life and just take a deeper look at you know how that was contributing to where I was at. So that's kind of why I'm sharing some of these patterns, and so. I talk to my friends about this all the time, but the cycle that I was in was working nine to five, Monday to Friday, going out Friday night, getting wasted, spending all day Saturday in bed, and then going out Saturday, getting wasted, spending all day Sunday in bed, and then doing it all again. And like I said, if you're in this cycle, this is not to shame or judge you by any means. I'm simply sharing context to, you know, why everything kind of led up and painting the picture for what I mentioned earlier, which was a lot of stuff going on beneath the surface. So at the same time as not being super happy in my job, having, I would say, a fair amount of stress within that job, I also was engaging in these lifestyle patterns. And the other thing that I'll mention is I didn't have any way of de-stressing or unplugging from work. So I would just go home and watch Netflix and kind of numb out for the evening. And I think if I could look back and articulate that phase of my life it was just a lot of kind of dullness to it like I didn't have anything that really excited me I did have a great friendship group but we talk about this all the time how all of us kind of were in the same place so we all kind of felt like we were going through that same cycle of going out every weekend and kind of being hung over and um, yeah I think again if I were to look back and and kind of categorize how I felt at the time it was just kind of numb and dull and so When I think about when things started to shift and when I started to feel the real anxiety, it kind of felt like somewhat of a wake-up call because I was in this kind of monotonous pattern and not feeling very fulfilled, but maybe not aware of that because I had no process of reflecting on whether or not I was fulfilled. I just was kind of going through the motions. For a long time, I was engaging in a certain life path and a certain life direction that I really did not feel connected to. So I was, you know, going to school for business because I guess that was what I felt like I was good at and it was bound to be successful and it was a program that, you know, in the eyes of society is pretty well received. But besides that, personally, did I have a deep, deep connection with that path Definitely not. And I'm not necessarily saying that you have to have a deep connection with your career path in order to be fulfilled. But I felt like I didn't have that fulfillment either in my work life or outside of it. I kind of, again, was just going through the motions. So that paints a picture a bit better of what my life was like at the time. I would not look back and say that I had a bad life. I had it really good. However, there were just a lot of patterns that kind of contributed to where I was at. I can actually pinpoint the exact day that I had my very first panic attack. And so, like I said, I was working in a corporate job. Often I would have to go to meetings with clients. And on one of these meetings, I was sitting around a table. There was, I believe, three clients and myself and another colleague from our firm and I remember so vividly just starting to feel out of nowhere I remember specifically I had gone out drinking the night before so I was feeling kind of hungover my stomach was you know grumbling not feeling good probably hadn't eaten anything had probably drank like a couple coffees in the morning not a lot of water anyways I started to feel kind of uneasy when we were in this meeting and I had never had a panic attack prior to this so I really didn't know what was going on You know, If you've ever experienced it, you know how scary it is and how you really do feel like you're dying or something bad is going to happen to you. For me, my thing was I always felt like I was going to pass out because my breathing would be impacted, my vision would be impacted, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the actual symptoms that I would feel. But in this specific scenario, it was very much I thought I was going to pass out. I didn't know why. I was with a bunch of clients, so I had to kind of maintain face and keep my cool, but eventually got to the point where I was like, I thought I was going to black out. So I had to excuse myself from the meeting. I went into the bathroom. I was like, okay, what just happened? You know, had some water. I thought maybe I was just dehydrated. And then looking back, it's kind of funny. Um, but I went back into the meeting and then I sat back down and it started happening again. I think the panic attack didn't really peak and allow itself to like complete. So I just went back in and I had to excuse myself again. And it, oh, I was so embarrassed because first of all, I had no idea what was going on. My The person that I was with, the colleague was kind of giving me those side eyes like, are you okay? Anyways, I went back to the office after the meeting and I was really upset because I just felt really awful. And One of the partners at the firm kind of said, I think that you had a panic attack. So because I thought that was like a really serious and severe thing and I had never experienced it before and it is really serious and it is really scary... I decided to take the rest of the day off. So I went home, chatted with my sister who had also experienced a couple of panic attacks before and had somewhat of experience with anxiety. You know, we chatted and kind of decided that it was maybe just a one-off and that's kind of what I thought. But a lot of people will talk about this happening specifically with panic attacks and what happened to me was essentially then when I started to go back into that same type of environment. It didn't have to be the same meeting room. It could be any kind of confined space that reminded me of that first initial panic attack. I would feel the same symptoms start to come on and I would have to excuse myself. That was kind of my pattern. And it got to the point where, you know, I was having panic attacks in almost every scenario that reminded me in any way of that initial um, panic attack. So university lectures uh, on the bus and Any kind of confined space. Um, Growing up, we went to church, so I went to church and I had to excuse myself. And it eventually just got to the point where it was bleeding into almost every area of my life, and I had literally no clue how to stop it. I researched a lot, I was reading a lot of spiritual books, books on mindfulness, books on meditation, books on anxiety. I was speaking with my doctor at the time, which is a whole other story. but really just trying to figure out what was going on. Because again, I really, the word anxiety to me, I didn't identify with in any way. And I just thought that there was something really severely wrong, perhaps with my eating habits or with my, you know, lifestyle, which again, I do think contributed, but I think there was a bigger picture. And so, like I said, this really started to bleed into so many different areas of my life, including my friendships and my relationships, and really started getting to the point where I felt this general level of anxiety. So in addition to having the panic attacks, I was basically anticipating. Anticipating, excuse me, a panic attack at all times. So my body was basically just in fight or flight all the time, and I couldn't find anything that would make me feel calm, which, as you can imagine, is just really, really distressing. And When I started to learn and research more about anxiety and the physiological impact of being in that fight or flight state all of the time, I also started to recognize the impact that it was having on my mind and body. And so we'll talk a little bit more about the actual symptoms that I was experiencing. So, first of all, like I mentioned, how it started was with just panic attacks. And if you've never had a panic attack, basically, What that can feel like is you start to sweat, you start to, your heartbeat starts to speed up, your breathing gets a little bit shorter, um, your pupils start to dilate, you may feel dizzy or lightheaded. And for me, what that feels like is really like I'm going to just faint or pass out. And what I'll say is I never have. So that's a really positive thing, but that's basically what it feels like. So within the context of a panic attack, I was experiencing those feelings on a daily basis. Then in addition to that, I was also feeling generalized anxiety day to day. And that felt like Kind of similar symptoms on a lower, more dull level, but in addition to that, I started to have really bad brain fog, which again I learned about why that is the case. Um, once I started to learn more about anxiety in my own research and and some of the courses that I took, um, brain fog was really bad. Concentration was really poor. I I had some weird cognitive stuff that I never really got to the root of, but I was speaking with my doctor about kind of my t- cognition felt like it was declining. I couldn't concentrate as well. Um, I couldn't remember things as well. I always kind of felt like I was in a haze. I had really bad stomach problems. I felt like my stomach was constantly upset. And whenever I looked up the symptoms of anxiety, these are ones that always came up. But I also had some other ones that were the ones that made me feel a little bit less normal and like I felt like I couldn't really talk to anyone about because I had mentioned earlier about going to the doctor and one thing I will say is another thing that I didn't really have any experience with or any awareness of how to navigate was who you should actually talk to when you're going through something like this. Because to me, when I started having panic attacks, I thought that it was a you know physical health Related issue. And for those types of things, I would go to the doctor. Um, But I know a lot of folks who have experienced struggles with mental health have had bad or negative experiences with going that route. And I certainly was no exception. So I started to get to the point where I wouldn't be open about some of the symptoms that I was feeling because I was like embarrassed and I had not had a good experience with my doctor. So What those symptoms were, one of them was very weird, like vertigo feelings. Like I would get really dizzy and feel like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like extreme dissociation to the point where you feel out of body. And I would say that I generally felt pretty disassociated for that period of time. But I would also have these like attacks where it would start off with my vision going kind of blurry. And then I would almost feel like I was kind of floating and just not in my body. And so that to me was really scary. And that was the point where it got really bad. And I just felt so disconnected and so scared because it was feelings that I had never felt before. And to be feeling this in addition to trying to maintain a full-time job, trying to finish my degree, and on top of that, although it wasn't that long ago, I really did feel like there was still quite a stigma attached to anxiety and mental health, so just feeling kind of isolated and alone in what I was experiencing. Hello, I hope that you're enjoying this episode so far. I just wanted to jump in and say that if anything you're hearing in this episode is resonating, I have a ton of resources for taking this journey a level deeper. When I first started this brand, I got thousands of comments and DMs on social media from folks who resonated with my experience of feeling disconnected from myself and wanted to know how I began living in alignment with my authentic self. I spoke with so many people who felt confined by the judgments, expectations, and conditions of others, who didn't feel worthy of putting themselves first and prioritizing their own needs, and who found themselves following someone else's plan for their lives. I wanted to save others the time, energy, and effort of having to navigate this process alone. And I wanted to provide a clear step-by-step process for getting in alignment with authenticity and accessing the freedom, wholeness, and power of reconnecting with and fully accepting yourself and that's why the Authenticity Roadmap exists. This is one of my most affordable offerings, but if you're looking for a free place to start, then you can also check out the Authenticity Quiz. It's a research-backed quiz which will help you to get a general sense of the extent to which you are living in alignment with your authenticity. You can find both links in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. Now, as we talk a little bit more about the things that started to help and improve the state that I was in, I do want to say that where I'm at right now, I would say I'm more or less free of anxiety. But the reason I say more or less is because I do still feel some of the symptoms occasionally. I kind of call it residue because I know what it feels like to have a panic attack. It's like ingrained in my memory. I do still have to practice a lot of centering and grounding myself because there are certainly moments where i feel that kind of bubbling back up but the difference is is that in the past i literally had no way of controlling it i always like to kind of compare what the experience of a panic attack or anxiety or rumination is like to a ball of yarn unraveling and so for me What would happen was I would have one kind of anxious thought or one anxious sensation in my body and then it would start to spiral and the ball of yarn would just kind of unravel very quickly and I had no real ways of bringing it back in except for, like I mentioned, numbing myself out with alcohol or nicotine or partying. So now the difference is, do I still feel those same sensations occasionally and those same triggers? Yes, however, now I have practices that I feel confident and I also have the self-confidence because I've used the practices and I know that I'm capable of, of bringing myself back to that place. And again, if you're listening to this and you're resonating with any of my experience, then I want you to know that you're also capable of doing that for yourself. So before we get into the specific techniques and practices and tools that really helped me to start improving, I want to kind of close the loop on what was going on in my life at the time and where I went from there. So like I said, I finished off my degree, I was still struggling a lot with my mental health and part of the reason that I was so anxious about basically the future was I have realized something about myself and I talk a lot about this within my authenticity program is I really really value freedom and the position that I was in at the time really did not feel Like I had a great deal of freedom and the structure for me was not working at the time. So basically I signed a contract with the firm that I was working for a year before I finished my degree. And part of the anxiety that I felt was feeling so kind of stuck. And although I was so grateful to have that certainty, I realized something about myself in the process was that I never really took the opportunity to have that freedom. I went right into university after school, after high school, and never took that time to go out and travel and so I made the decision at the time to walk away from the job that I was in and this in and of itself was a decision that produced a lot of anxiety because I felt really embarrassed by the fact that I had basically just started I was only working there for six months after I graduated and then I basically left but once I was able to get over that initial embarrassment of, you know, what are people going to think? I I had a lot of clarity surrounding the fact that that was the right decision. So that's just kind of to close the loop and talk about the first factor when it comes to working with anxiety and mental health is the reality that I'm going to share a lot of tools and practices and tips but there is the reality that sometimes lifestyle and a lot of time I should say does play a huge role and so to the extent that we can make decisions it doesn't have to be as big of a decision as literally quitting your job and in hindsight that can actually produce more anxiety because I didn't really have a plan. I had no money. And so I was kind of swapping the lack of freedom in my job for a lack of stability and a lack of financial stability, which really produced anxiety in and of itself so definitely doesn't have to be that drastic of a decision but at the same time what I'm trying to articulate here is that of course there are lifestyle factors that if we can make small tweaks within that to a place where we feel comfortable and at least we are living somewhat in alignment with our version of authenticity and our core values and like I said this is something I talk about a lot on other episodes and within my program, so if you're looking to kind of get connected with that, that for me was a really big part of my mental health journey. And I'm not necessarily going to go into a lot of detail, but I just want to say that for me, feeling really disconnected from the path that I was on and feeling like I didn't really align from a core values perspective to the work that I was doing and how I was spending the majority of my time once I started to realign myself and get clarity on what might feel a little bit more fulfilling and what to try. And like I said, I didn't really get it right away. I did a lot of experimentation in the years that followed, but that felt like it played such a huge role in where I am today. And the fact that now I feel like I'm living in a place where... I'm much more connected. I'm still figuring things out. Of course, I think I have the type of personality where I always will be, but that.
0: Many of us have
1: those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
0: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: That is a really important factor, so I'll just kind of leave that there as I go into some more specific details. Before I share the things that actually did work for me, I want to talk about what didn't because with the internet and with so many folks being on the internet talking about mental health now, I think that's a really great thing but a lot of the time we have to have kind of like a buffer to see whether things that are being proposed with respect to mental health make sense in our lives. So of course, that goes for what I'm sharing as well. I wouldn't take everything that I say as, you know, the ultimate truth. I'm simply sharing what worked for me. And I think it's really important to remember that that's the case for everyone that's sharing something to do with mental health and when I would see something, a tip or a technique that was shared by someone on social media or whatever, and that didn't work for me, it almost made me feel even worse about myself and made me feel even more alienated. But I think the lesson that I'm trying to articulate here is that everyone has a different way of you know, regulating and self-regulating. And that's why I'm going to provide you with a few different options. And then you can start to kind of decide for yourself what's going to work. And it's going to be unique to whoever else you're seeing on social media and your friends and your partner and other people in your life. And I think that's part of this journey is you're not only finding the things that you love and that you enjoy and that you find fulfilling, you're also finding the things that bring you peace and bring you to a place of feeling grounded and although there are so many good things about the world of wellness and mental health online and that dialogue that's going on and don't get me wrong I'm including myself in this conversation because I am in that space so I'm not excluding myself from that what I'm about to say but I think one of the byproducts that is perhaps not as positive when it comes to the world of wellness is the fact that we feel like wellness is just another thing that we have to tick all of these boxes in and that is one of the things that really didn't work for me was I felt like I had to fixate on every area of my life and again I talk about this in other episodes but I had to optimize and I have to perfect so I have to look at my diet in order to be mentally well. I have to look at my exercise routine, all of the list of things that I need to be doing to feel well. And again, what that meant for me was when I started to do all those things and started to do what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I cut out so many different foods, gluten, dairy, you name it, um, was exercising and was doing all of these things that should on paper make me feel quote unquote well. And I still felt awful. In fact, I would say during that period that I was fixating so heavily on these parts of my life, I actually think I felt worse. And I'm certainly not suggesting that having a healthy lifestyle and caring about having a healthy lifestyle is going to produce anxiety necessarily. What I'm referring to is the energy that we might bring into fixating and trying to control various aspects of our lives because I think something that is characteristic of anxiety is that you feel very out of control in relation to your mind and your body. So sometimes we focus on looking outside of ourselves to control various elements within our environment and within our life. So of course, I think it's really important to also rule out any dietary deficiencies, nutritional deficiencies, etc., because those can be very deeply connected to our mental health and our mental well-being. But at the same time, in my particular case, I was really, really fixating on specific symptoms that I was having and trying to connect those to... Um, Like different health-related issues, and it was kind of like I was willing to accept that I had anything except for anxiety. And as a result, that kind of denial and that wanting it to be some other health issue that I could easily treat made me less willing to actually look at some of the lifestyle factors and actually go in and make a change and access that deeper level of healing. Which kind of brings me to my second point that didn't work for me, which was basically telling myself to calm down or denying the reality that I was in. And I think again, because at the time I felt a lot of stigma towards things like anxiety, I didn't want to seek out the appropriate help. I didn't want to even consider medication or therapy. And I think that ended up, you know, creating a lot more distress because I wasn't willing to really treat what was going on. And it's interesting because we talk about all the time how certain physical ailments, like if you have a broken ankle or a broken leg, you go to the doctor and you know that you need to do some healing there. And you also know that you go And perhaps get on some sort of cast from the doctor. And then there is still a healing process that occurs after. So it's not something that we expect to be immediately healed. However, for me at the time, I was really looking for a quick fix. So when I did eventually start to go to therapy, and I remember my therapist that I was speaking with at the time was suggesting things that were kind of longer term lifestyle factors, like, incorporating breath work and meditation. And I was so frustrated. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted a quick fix, which is a really good segue into now getting into what, did work. Like I mentioned before, I get into this. I want to highlight the fact that I have all of this within my mindfulness and anxiety program, and obviously more beyond what I'm sharing in this podcast episode. So, if you are interested, then of course the link can be found um, in my bio, SiobhanLoren.ca, slash mindfulness for stress and anxiety, if you're interested. But let's talk a little bit more about when I started to feel that shift and what. Really contributed to that shift to getting to the point now where, as I mentioned before, I'm living day to day free of panic attacks and free of anxiety. So the biggest thing that started to change how I related to my mental health was, of course, acceptance of where I was at and being able to ask and seek out the right and appropriate support for what I was experiencing. So Like I said, therapy was a really big part of my journey. Medication was a big part of my journey. And I want to talk about medication for a moment here because, again, this is something that is quite stigmatized and that I feel not a lot of folks talk about. But when I talk about, you know, things like mindfulness and some of the tips that I'm going to share, I also want to be honest about the fact that medication did play a role in my healing journey. And I have no shame in saying that. The role that it played within my healing journey was I went into going on to medication with the objective of not being on it long term. And if you are on it long term, again, that might work for you. And I'm not ever saying that I might not go back on it. However, the way I looked at it at the time was my mental health was in a point where I felt like I was drowning all the time. And when I would receive recommendations to do things like breath work and do things like meditation, although I was trying those things as well, I really feel like I needed more support beyond that to bring me to a place where I was above water. Once I got to a more stable baseline after being on the medication for about a year while incorporating some of these lifestyle factors, making the lifestyle changes, and incorporating some of the techniques that I'm going to share, I was able to then slowly come off the medication and And have those strong supports of things like my mindfulness practice and my self-regulation techniques in order to support me when I still felt a little bit off. And so that's what I mean when I said earlier in this episode that I still do feel symptoms occasionally and I think that will always happen because stress is inevitable and it's a normal and natural part of life and that really did play a big part of My healing journey as well was recognizing that these feelings may always be there. I just grow stronger and stronger in my ability to regulate them and not always need to react or have a flight, flight, freeze kind of response. So learning about my human operating system and the ways that I can regulate it, and learning that what I was experiencing was not weird or abnormal, and that there were actually very practical and simple ways to manage those. Experiences that I was having helped so much. And the more I learn about this, the more I wonder why these aren't taught to us earlier because some of the things that help to regulate our nervous systems are super easy. And these are things that I think should be so widely taught. But until that happens, I want to share a little bit more about what those things are. So I like to think of the healing process and maintenance of mental health, specifically anxiety, from two lenses, long-term solutions and real-time solutions. So being able to have long-term practices that we're doing perhaps on a daily basis that is basically building the foundation of being able to regulate our nervous systems and allowing us to activate our calm, rest and digest nervous system and in addition to that, having real-time solutions when we do have those spikes because we we can't expect to never feel stress or feel scared or fear, but it's just about being able to get stronger and stronger at our ability to bring ourselves back down to a place of stability and back down to that homeostasis. So when it comes to long-term solutions, I mentioned some of these already, but I think what is required is looking at... Number one, the lifestyle factors that may be contributing to the mental state, and looking into what small ways you can start to shift anything that is causing further stress and anxiety, and recognizing that, you know, not everything is within our control and the things that are not in our control, then we can rely on some of these other practices. So another big part of my healing journey was looking at any deeper wounding to see the reason behind some of the triggers. So like I mentioned, one of my big triggers was being in enclosed spaces and I don't necessarily feel like I ever got any clarity on why that was, but what I did know about that situation was I was Petrified of being embarrassed in front of other people. And I could take that a level deeper and a level deeper. And I was able to do so both through self reflection, but also in therapy to recognize that I was actually really scared of being seen and people perceiving me in a certain way that wasn't, you know, I had everything together so I really had a fear of being seen as someone who was struggling and as a result I wouldn't necessarily ask for help like I mentioned before and I wouldn't um, want to rely on other people so I realized that I had this huge fear around like I said being embarrassed and having to rely on other people to help me in a certain situation so being able to look at that understand why I have those fears, and just being able to really heal that on a deeper level. Another component, and I will not be the first person to say this, so you'll likely have already heard this a thousand times, but what worked for me was mindfulness meditation. And the reason that this is really important is to, again, cultivate a practice of activating the parasympathetic nervous system, so the rest and digest nervous system. Like I said before, I when I was in a place of really struggling with anxiety, had no way of de-stressing except for relying on external numbing mechanisms. So having a way to practice calming myself down in a self-directed way, I think not only helps to rewire your nervous system, but also helps to build confidence. I kind of look at it as being able to build more and more data that is aligned to the belief that you are able to get through certain things and you are able to calm yourself down. Because when I was experiencing daily panic attacks and not able to, you know, sit through it and calm myself down, I would always have to leave the environment. I had a lot of data that supported the fact that I was not capable of getting through those experiences. So being able to experience Again, calming myself down and feeling that shift within my body and mind, and really being present with it helped me to believe that I could do that in real time. So, now moving on to the real time solutions. And when I talk about real time versus kind of long term, the way I look at it is real time is like game day if we're talking about sports, whereas long term is like the practice leading up to game day. So, we know that when we are in the real-time experiences. And again, going back to the sport example, on game day, we may experience things that are different from what we practiced, but the practice is going to make us that much more prepared to navigate these real-life experiences. So I like to look at real-time solutions. And when I say real-time, I'm talking about in the moment being able to override the fight-flight-freeze response that we may be having to a specific trigger, building interoceptive, so kind of internal focused awareness so that you know the signs of when you're out of balance and you can bring yourself back into balance without Needing to have one of these kind of coping mechanisms. So let's say fight, flight, freeze. And the reason this is important and a reason it was important for me is because when I relied on my fight, flight, freeze response, I'm not saying that it's always appropriate to stay in a certain situation because sometimes you may need to leave and it may be appropriate to leave, but for me, it was really interfering with my life because if every time I felt panic, I needed to leave the situation, you can imagine how inconvenient that was and how much I would end up missing out on friends' weddings, funerals classes it was becoming really inconvenient so that's why I really needed to build these real-time solutions in order to bring myself back into balance the techniques that I like to share are three specific techniques and they're things that you always have with you they're oriented towards our mind, our body, and our breath. And everyone is going to resonate with a different one in a different way. And I think this is important to mention because some folks have, you know, a specific trigger around, let's say their breath. So if they start to focus on their breath, that can actually cause more anxiety. So maybe that one's not for you. And some folks don't feel safe in their mind. So that one might not be for you. And some folks don't feel safe in their body, So again, if you have a sense of awareness around what might be the best starting point for you, you may find that different situations call for using different types of centering. I, for example, will use the mind when I feel like I can reel in my thoughts. But other times it's like, it's too far gone. My thoughts are just going kind of haywire right now. Let's go to a body focus centering tool. So these are three different tools that I use all the time. They're for the mind, the body, and the breath. And like I said, the objective here is to combat the symptoms that you're feeling and Basically, produce within the body and the mind the opposite. So, when the mind is kind of going scattered and your thoughts are unraveling and you're ruminating, we're trying to reel the thoughts back in and bring them to a place of calm and centered. And then, of course, the same goes for the other two techniques. So, with that said, we'll start off with a mind focused centering tool. When we start to feel anxious, something that happens is we can begin to catastrophize. So quite often we will amplify the negative outcomes of any given scenario. In my case, I'll just use a personal example throughout this particular technique, my thing that I would always catastrophize, like I said, I would be in a situation in a meeting or in an enclosed space, whether that's a movie theater, anything along those lines. And I would start to fixate on the fact that it's possible that I could faint in this environment. Then my mind would start to unravel and I would start to look for all of the different you know, catastrophic outcomes that could be associated with me fainting, so perhaps falling and hitting my head, being embarrassed in front of other people, etc. So what really helped to center me in these moments when I could feel that process happening, and again, I wanted to reel back in that ball of yarn, was I would ask myself three questions. And this process actually has a name, it's called decatastrophizing, and it's quite often Used within cognitive behavioral therapy, and I found it to be super, super effective but also really simple. And if you want to write these questions down in your phone so that you remember them the next time you're feeling this way, that can also be super helpful. So, the first question is How likely is it that this event will happen? And for me, the likelihood of me fainting in any given scenario was very little because it had never actually happened before, and a lot of the outcomes that I was really anxious or fearful of we not very likely. So that would immediately help to bring it back a little bit more. Then I would ask myself, okay, if this event did happen, so if I fainted, what is the worst possible outcome? So for me, the worst possible outcome is that I would, you know, hurt myself and I would be embarrassed in front of other people. Again primarily the embarrassment was the biggest factor for me and this question also helps me to tell or helps to tell me what I need to maybe investigate a little bit further as I mentioned before looking into why I have such a fear of falling or embarrassing myself. And then number three if that outcome did happen would you be able to cope? So if I fell If I fainted and I was embarrassed, would I be able to cope? Have I been embarrassed before and did I get through that? And this three-step process really helped me to realize that even if the worst case scenario that I'm imagining in my head did happen, I would still be okay and I would still get through it because I have gotten through similar things before. So the next one that I will mention is body-centered relaxation. And you'll hear a lot when you're learning about mindfulness and meditation, about the body scan, I practically find a full body scan when you're feeling anxious to be kind of hard to remember to do and also kind of inaccessible at times, just for me personally. And what I will say is if you are someone that is experiencing chronic pain or perhaps you've had trauma related to your body, this one might not be the one for you. But if you're someone that typically can feel grounded and centered within your body Um, you might be able to access this at different times when you're feeling anxious and perhaps thinking um, and doing the mind-centered one or the breath-centered one that I'm going to share doesn't really work as well. So, Like I said, a full body scan for me is a little bit too inaccessible in those moments. And we also want to be doing things that are quick to do and easy to remember. So I like to just use three areas. These three areas are also the three areas where we tend to feel the most tension and stress so they can be easy to remember. So we start at the top of the body and basically if you feel like you're starting to feel the symptoms, you just Point your attention to these areas of your body. And just doing that simple couple of second process can really help you to change the focus of your mind and move what's called the spotlight of attention to something other than maybe anxious thoughts or anxious breathing. So first you'll start with the jaw. You'll relax and unclench your jaw. Then you'll move down to the shoulders and just see if you can let them drop away from your ears. And then finally, you'll relax your belly. And if you don't know how to relax your belly, first try clenching it and then releasing it. So again, that's another common technique that's used a lot of the times some of the feedback that i've received in some of my mindfulness sessions is when you say release tension i'm not sure what that means so as a way to get into the habit of doing that you can try clenching and then releasing so that works for a lot of folks as well and then the third one is breath focus centering so this is actually probably my personal favorite and the thing that i use the most frequently i find it to be super effective and like i said i use it all the time. I really don't know why this isn't taught to us in school or in any capacity and why folks aren't talking about this more. And I heard about this for the first time within my yoga teacher training and some of my mindfulness training and meditation training, but not in the specific way that I'm going to share. So I learned about the importance of working with the breath, like I said, in those trainings, and specifically lengthening out the exhale. This is something that I always heard within yoga classes and different mindfulness teachings. However, I never learned about this specific technique that I'm going to share. When I learned about the physiological sigh, which is the specific name of the technique, was through the Huberman podcast. So if you haven't heard of that podcast, I believe the specific name is Huberman Lab, um, and it's really great. He talks about a lot of different topics that kind of touch on stress reduction amongst other things, but essentially what I learned in my yoga teacher training and also what is articulated within the physiological sigh is the fact that lengthening out the exhale, so taking a longer exhale than you do your inhale, has the ability to activate the parasympathetic or the rest and digest nervous system. So in addition to the physiological sigh, which I'm going to share, just remembering to take longer, slower exhales can also do wonders for your nervous system and help to calm you down in the moment. But the physiological side is a specific technique, and what it involves is two short inhales and one long exhale. I typically do the inhales through the nose and the exhale through the mouth. And you can do this really discreetly. You don't have to do it super loud. So you can do this if you're in a meeting or if you're on the bus or any environment where you're feeling anxious. You can just do this quietly. Personally, I find five to ten rounds of this is enough, and like I said, if I don't remember to do the double inhale, just remembering to lengthen up my exhale, it brings enough awareness to the breath, number one, and it has that physiological benefit of relaxing your nervous system. And I know I said I was only going to share three, but I want to share a fourth one in case the mind-body-breath don't feel accessible to you in a moment, some of us do don't always feel safe or comfortable in our mind bodies or even in our breath and if that's the case for you what I would recommend is having a small object that you can kind of focus on so you're directing your attention outside of yourself into a little inanimate object so whether that's a stone or a coin something that you can have with you at all times that is small and discreet and that you can kind of carry around with you and just playing around with it and kind of engaging with it in different ways. So through touch, smell, sight, um, that can also be really helpful if some of the other techniques that I share are not working for you. So just to summarize, I believe that effective stress management involves both long-term solutions. So again, coming back to the sports example, being able to practice and weave your parachute before you need it, and then also real-time solutions. So with a combination of both of those things over time have really made such a difference to my own personal experience with anxiety to the point where I no longer have that experience day to day and I do not experience panic attacks at all anymore. And it's not just me, these techniques have worked for hundreds and hundreds of people and are also backed up by a lot of research. One thing that I will say is that there is the element of neuroplasticity. And I'm not going to cover this in this episode because we're already at almost an hour, but this is something that I didn't understand when I first started practicing some of these techniques was that we can't use one, have a great day, and then expect to be healed. The The reality is, and we talk about the fact that healing is not a linear process a lot. And to me, what that means on a physiological level is it takes time for our neural pathways to rewire. It takes time for our bodies and our mind to learn new behavior. And if our behavior and our habits are that we kind of automatically have this rapid fire to the fight flight freeze response then that's just the natural habit that our body is in and it does take time to rewire that so let's say that you use one of these techniques and it works for you once and then the next time you don't have as much success with it It doesn't mean that that's a complete failure and it really is a practice and it's called a practice for a reason because it takes time and for me personally, I don't think I'll ever be done with this experience and with this journey, but it's really taught me the importance of self-regulation and of having these techniques in our back pocket for when we need them. But with that said, I really, really hope that this episode was helpful if you are experiencing Any struggles with your mental health or anxiety, I hope that you found something within this episode that you might use and that might help you on your journey. And for today, I'm just going to leave it at that. Like I mentioned, if you have any specific questions that I'm always available, um, you can DM me, ask me any questions about my experience. I'm pretty much an open book. But otherwise, if you are looking to implement some of these changes and really start to use some of these practices and are looking for a little bit more more guidance in that in that department, then definitely check out my program and you'll find all the links to that in the show notes. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will see you in the next episode.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.